You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Much like yesterday, second verse, same as the first in terms of the weather outside. Give yourself a little time for the fog this morning, but fortunately not too brisk outside. Good morning to you on a Thursday. Jake Query along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. And Kevin, yesterday... I guess also kind of a turn-back-the-clock day, if you will. Not literally, because it hasn't been that long since Frank Reich was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But um, Reich was back in Indianapolis, and really probably the the first time that he's kind of talked uh, since he was relieved of his duties as the head coach of the Colts. But for what reason was Reich back in town, and what sort of things did the old coach have to say? Yeah, they had an event for their foundation. Not today. We've had Leah Reich. One of Frank's daughters on before to talk about that um, foundation kind of rooted around um, supporting victims of sex trafficking and just making people more aware of, sadly, how prevalent that issue is, um, particularly here in the state of Indiana. Um, so Frank was back in Indy first time. Yeah, I guess first time on on camera. You know, caught up with Mike Chappell immediately after the firing. But um, here's some audio of Frank last night, courtesy of Wish TV, Frank Reich on uh, his desire, basically about how everything unfolded and his desire to uh, coach again. First, First couple weeks was kind of hard, hard you know, I just, just didn't, didn't watch, watch a whole lot, lot but, but, um, but, but kind, kind of kept, kept track, track of what was going, going on, and, and still pulling hard for the guys. guys. I mean, love, love, love this, this love the guys, love the team, and, and want, want all the best, and wish nothing but, but the best. Um, but the first, it's, it's been more just, just kind of reconnecting with family and kind of decompressing a little bit. You know, you know, thinking, thinking taking, taking a lot, lot of notes, notes you know, like, hey, what, what, what have I learned? learned? You know, what, what have I learned over the past five years, years here as a four and a half years, years as a head coach? coach. Um, what, 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 what were the dynamics? What did I like? What did I do well? What can I do, I do better? Would you, Would you like, like to get, get back, back into coaching, coaching next, next year, year Oh, no, it's definitely in my blood. I really do want to get I mean, I really want to continue. I love the game. I love being around. I love being around the players. So, you know, I don't have any... I'm not, I'm not presuming, presuming anything, anything at this point. point. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic that, that I, I know this. I love the game. I feel like I'm prepared to continue to keep giving to the game, giving to players and coaches, and we'll see how that looks like. Now the question becomes this for you, Kevin Bowen, for any of us. Is his return to coaching, do you believe, as a head coach in the National Football League? Do you think he will get another head coaching opportunity, or do you think – Frank Reich will be seen by folks as an offensive coordinator. One thing I do want to point out about that video before to get that. By the way, courtesy, courtesy of Wish Wish. Television and Anthony Calhoun. There, by the way, I couldn't believe believe how refreshed he looked. He looked like uh, my wife's obsessed with those makeover shows. Jake, he looked like someone that had gone away for the makeover, and then they brought him back and just looked like a totally different human. Like the hundred pound gorilla was off his back. He was. Just seemed like a much different, much different guy than just the dejected human I felt like uh, was like having to go up there almost, right? and handle press conference after press conference there when we had to ask him questions that other people in that building were making the answers for. I went to a Jenny Jones episode in 1995 in Chicago that was a makeover show. Really? Uh-huh. Back when they used to have those... Uh, Frank Reich does not strike me as one that would go on one of those shows, to be fair, but that was the vibe I got to watch. Like, he looked like he'd been to Hawaii for a month. 
he actually probably could have used a makeover because like his attire was a little like Buffalo late 80s. I thought, although he has a cool watch. And, and listen, I don't think anybody disputes that Frank Reich is a really good guy. Um, he no, sounded... Top he, five human I've come across. He sounded better there, right? I mean, he sounded like, honestly, refreshed. I mean, you know, you could... Like, you went to a day spa. Like, he needed a, a spa day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's always fun, isn't it? You know, there was a day spa up on the north side of Indy that uh, I had bought gift certificates for gifts for and then they just closed one day out of nowhere mm-hmm. it was like just gone and like like mom and pop they just disappeared uh just up and vanished and they took the gift cards with them and how many people do you think are out gift cards i don't want to say the name of the place because they might still be around i don't want to get sued <laughs> well they're say, are, you, are, are you gonna sue I, I don't know how to sue them People listening right now, if they're from the north side of Indianapolis and they've ever been in the Clearwater area, know exactly the day spa that I'm talking about. They just up and disappeared one day. And it's like, well, they just took everybody's stocking stuffers. What the hell happened? What do you mean you don't the, want to talk bad about them? If they're gone, they're gone. Well, I mean, that's true. But, you know, I don't know. Like the owner, I, you got to be careful. Well, he might be rolling in all the gift cards. It's <laughs> a good question, though, on Frank. And is he going to be a head coach next year? I mean, right now you got Carolina as the other opening. What else is going to open? In terms Arizona? Of what, yeah, I mean... Arizona would probably be the most popular one. I mean, hasn't Mark Davis kind of stood behind Yeah, Josh McDaniels, no matter what happens here down the stretch? Denver? I guess Denver. Denver's been wildly rumored, right? Yeah. Well, Nathaniel Hackett's just had a hell of a rookie. You, you also have... But I, I guess I, I don't see a ton. I mean... You have to always account for just a complete surprise, right? Of like a guy just didn't want to do it anymore or for whatever, you know, there's a million things in that regard. Like I don't see Pete Carroll retiring. Right. I feel like he feels pretty rejuvenated by it. Yeah, you think he would have done that last year, right? I think Sean McVay is going anywhere. Matt Eberflus is not getting fired after one year. Texans won't let go of Levy Smith, you don't think? I mean, Is that one that could go? Would the Texans want to go for, isn't Levy Smith the defensive Frank Reich? Pretty much. You know what I mean? Like Jay is our quarterback. That's so the same with the Bears. That's I guess, you know, I and I, I'm sure there's an element of like early December every year. There's probably like a wait, what openings are gonna be out there? And then you get to mid January and there's like there's seven openings. Green but, Bay? Oh, I don't think they'd fire Matt LaFleur, would Packers they? Suck. No, I I think LaFleur's Yeah, safe. I, I don't if they so, but I'm thinking about franchises that here here would be the the thing that would intrigue or wet the whistle of a franchise. Frank Reich might not have been the best head coach in Indianapolis. I don't think he was a disaster, but but nonetheless, if you were going to if this was high school debate class and we had to debate whether or not Frank Reich was a legit head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, and I was assigned to speak on behalf of him, the argument that I would make would be that he was a quarterback whisperer who every quarterback that he was given had on already had in earbuds because, or actually had hearing aids because they were so old. You know, is there intrigue for a franchise? Let's just say I'm going to use Green Bay for for lack of a better example. How about the Chargers, Brandon Staley? That could be one. Yeah, I mean that's so a place. The Chargers would be a good example as well, Marco. What I'm talking about. 
in the fact, Kevin, of a place that has a young quarterback that they feel like just needs that final guiding hand to get them to high levels. Is that what Frank Reich is seen as, and is that the the strength on his his LinkedIn account, which again is just tender for business people? Um, but is that what is going to get him another job? Yeah, I just feel like the retread head coach trend is not as popular as maybe it once was. I don't disagree with that. I think the new trend is find the young offensive mind. And Kevin O'Connell, of course, great success in Minnesota right now. Brian Dable, great success with the Giants right now. So I I continue to expect that would be the sort of cycle that teams would go down. Um, I probably view Reich more in the offensive coordinator role. And, you know, Carolina, they're going to have an early pick, and they might draft QB, um, we had Mike DeCorsi on a few weeks ago. You know, would the Steelers want Frank Reich in there to coordinate Kenny Pickett? Uh, what happens if Ken Dorsey gets a head coaching job? Frank Reich is the OC for Josh Allen. Be a pretty good gig, considering his Buffalo ties. What about Frank Reich to Purdue? Uh, somebody just asked me that. Frank Reich to Purdue is intriguing, isn't it? It's kind of a Jeff Brom move, right? A quarterback coach, a guy that, that can open things up offensively a little bit. Can't see Frank Reich being a big NIL guy. Well, you got to be these days, right? By the way, Ms. Ladon. Uh, Jake, I was completely broken up about the sudden closing of, insert name, of the day spa that closed and took everybody's money. No warning or anything, if that's what you're referring to. Yes, Ms. Ladon, that is exactly correct. I love that she's listening to this show, by the way. Um, Who is that? Uh, Ms. Ladon, she's the best. She's been a loyal listener for a long time. And they just, I mean, I'm telling you what, they, they were like, listen, I'm glad that you bought like the $150 gift certificate for a massage, but mom and pop just up and vanished. I just think. I, what, what is going on? I think OC more than head coach. Yeah, I, I would tend to Frank. agree. I, I, and don't. But are we being are we looking at too hypercritically because we're in Indianapolis? In other words, has he seen Yeah, but again, I just don't see like the retread head coaching hires happening as much as they maybe once were. There's no doubt that the NFL is a cyclical business and the latest cycle or trend was everybody wanted to get like the Sean McVay type right. guy, right? The young, good looking, energetic, new yeah, I mean I get it. And you know, Frank Reich to me kind of looks like he'd be like when I look at Frank Reich, he looks like the guy that is standing beside an, a Ford F one fifty in one of my nineteen eighty six Sports Illustrated commercial like ads. You know what I mean? And like it doesn't he doesn't have, you know in the NFL lately like that McVeigh like it's more like guys that look like they're popping out of a an ad in Maxim GQ Maxim still around? Are any of them still around? I don't know. Uh, we'll get Purdue's side of their head coach opening. Kind of odd that Brian Brom is the interim head coach. <laughs> you know, you don't see that very often. The older brother goes and takes a job oh, in Louisville, and the younger brother stays around to be the interim through the bowl game it, until he then leaves, right, to go to Louisville yeah. with him. That's I would assume that would be the case. So as I was talking about this day spa, just like it was like last year. Right before Christmas, and they just up and closed, and everybody's like, well, wait a minute, we've got all these Christmas gifts and whatever else, and it was like, well, sorry, sorry, folks, spa's closed, Moose Out Front should have told you, and everybody's just standing around going, what in the world? 
Now, that isn't necessarily what happened with Purdue with Jeff Brom because I think, you know, everybody kind of knew that if Louisville was ever going to open up that Jeff Brom, especially this time around, um, you know, had indicated that it, the timing was probably going to be right. Alan Karpik joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk about exactly that. He is with On3.com. Of course, Golden Black, where where you have known Alan, that now part of the On3 network. And Alan, that's a fair statement. Would you agree in the fact that, look, I, I know that Purdue fans are disappointed to lose Jeff Braun because he did good things at Purdue, but at the same time, I think everybody in the back of their mind kind of knew and understood that home was home, right? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, I think it, it, you know, it's not uh, it's not a loser's mentality to to accept reality, I suppose, in that situation. And and yes, I mean, there was no no surprise or little surprise at all. I think the, the big surprise, and the thing that we may now find out down the road, is you know, I don't think this was orchestrated months and months in advance because I think the Satterfield defection or uh, to to Cincinnati was a surprise um, enough so that, that, that you know it wasn't like three weeks ago this was planned. Now again, if the job had been open or if Satterfield had been fired, this is the former Louisville coach who's now at Cincinnati, um, you know, in the middle of the year, different deal. But so that's the only that's the only intrigue is that I think that it did come up uh, from what we can gather uh, because I think that Satterfield at Cincinnati was a little bit of a surprise. Alan, do you know if Purdue tried to, in a financial way, pitch Jeff Brom to stay? Obviously, they extended him back in April, and he's pretty well compensated, but any final pitches that included any sort of bumps or promises, anything like that? I, not to our knowledge, and I, but I, I do have a little bit of knowledge, inside knowledge there, that I don't think that there was a, a major move there, because what do you do in this situation? I mean, this is a guy that uh, has been pretty clear about his intentions all along, uh, even what he said last summer on the, on, the, on the stump, so to speak, down in Louisville kind of made it clear. So, no, I, I, I don't think, I think you get, you get him in the room and say, uh, is there anything we can do here? That's one question, and, and then you move on because uh, there wasn't anything Purdue was going to be able to do in this situation for, from everything we can gather. Again, Alan Karpik is with us on 3.com. If you are Mike Bobinski, the athletic director at Purdue, what do you think the profile looks like for your next head coach? I got to believe it's an offensive guy, or at least somebody's got access to. You know, Purdue football has got a does have a brand of. It certainly Jeff Brom built that back up uh, by being a, a little bit of a no holes barred uh, fun football to watch. You know, if you go back, Purdue has yet, and it's go. You have to go back to the 1930s since Purdue has had back to back winning coaches. I mean, that's how long it's been. Wow. And uh, but 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 that has been. A situation where you go back also to even to Jim Young in the '70s, Joe Tiller, Jeff Brom. The common thread is a little, you know, yes, each of those teams had school had defenses that were decent from time to time, but it was an offense that was a big part of things. So, I, I think that's Purdue's uh, mo. I think Mike Babinski gets that. I think that they, the the fact that Jeff Brom brought so many fans back to the stands. Why? Because it was fun to watch. And uh, they were interesting. And yes, you had Rondale Moore and David Bell and George Karloftis. I understand that, but uh, I think fun football and put people in the stands and being competitive uh, are going to be the things that you that you want to have from a coach. And I don't think that necessarily means a big name guy. I, I you know who knows how this is going to play out. It's really it's really intriguing from that standpoint. A couple of questions that I have, Alan, about the direction. But l- let me begin with this. 
is it possible that we're all going to sit here and overthink this and look, you know, and scan this wide net on who Purdue's next coach is going to be? And in reality, they just go, hey, we're just going to go from one Brom to the next. And they just retain Brian Brom in the position where he's going to be as the interim. Or is it pretty much a foregone conclusion that after the bowl game, he will go with his brother? Well, I don't know about the latter uh, in terms for sure. I mean, we understand that Brian has looked at other opportunities. I know he was in, in the running for Kentucky. Um, so you got to remember, he's 15 years younger than Jeff. And, and while they've certainly had a working relationship over the years, I, I think it's fair to characterize him as a little bit different. There was some, some surprise that he was named the, the, uh, that he didn't go to Louisville right away. But that's, I think, because Brian's kind of his own dude. And uh, I, I would be very surprised that they would – that they would turn it over to Brian at, at for the head coaching job, uh, and I was a little bit surprised with the interim, but I also think it makes sense because what guy do you want to have play in the bowl game? Uh, number sixteen, Aiden O'Connell, and uh, I, I and I and I'm not saying Aiden's a very loyal guy, and I don't know for sure what his intent, but you got to you got to have an offense to run, and it's a real challenge. I mean, to be honest about uh, putting a coaching staff together, uh, this is you know a, for Purdue, this is a big bowl game. I mean, uh, at least a, a high end bowl. Purdue hasn't been to, to that level of bowl uh, since uh, you know since the Citrus Bowl back in 2004. So uh, I, I I think that it did surprise me a little bit but i don't expect them to, to turn the turn the reins over to brian on a full-time basis alan the reality is that the purdue head football coach is a big vacancy and a big position to shift from one man to the next um and in addition to that purdue is about to do exactly that in terms of on the new year so just three weeks from now they will transition from mitch daniels as the university president to dr mung i hope i'm saying this correctly dr mung shang am i saying the name correctly yeah that's correct mung chang yep um do we know you know mitch daniels i think understood the business aspect of athletics and having athletics be a conduit in terms of fundraising for the university for the branding and marketing of the university do we know yet the new administration where they fall in terms of their aggression or their you know same school of thought in terms of athletics well that's a good question but i think it's pretty clear and we're and the only place you need a place you need to look is the board of trustees um and and their role uh, you know mung has not talked a lot about athletics necessarily though i think he's i think from everything i understand uh he's kind of in the Mitch Daniels vein. you got to remember, too, when Mitch Daniels came to Purdue, very fiscally conservative, he still is, but I mean, he, was, he was not all bullish on athletics either. But you look at, you look at uh, from, the, from the big-time spending version of athletics, I should say. And I think that changed to some extent, uh, to a great extent. And why did that change? Because guys like Mike Berghoff, the Indianapolis guy, uh, the chair of the Board of Trustees, the athletic department liaison for years, Really uh, had a lot to do with saying we're not gonna, we're not we're not going to play second fiddle anymore in football, and that came to the fore, in my view, in 2016, in December of 2016, when they hired Jeff Brom and paid good money to get to a program that was an absolute dumpster fire uh, in terms of attendance. So uh, the point is, is I think the board is clearly behind keeping this. Uh, they understand the need to keep fans in the stands. They and I think. 
there's limitations at Purdue. I, I don't see a Mel Tucker type situation at, at all, but I do see, you know, that uh, Jeff Brom at the end of his contract, had he stayed at Purdue, would have been over $6 million. I, I could see that number being if they had the right guy and somebody they felt that they really had to get. And I just think the Board of Trustees is very aligned with Mike Babinski, and I expect that Meng Chang, uh, once his tenure begins on January 1st, uh, will be in the same boat. Again, the search underway for the next head football coach for the Purdue Boilermakers, Alan Karpik from On3.com is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alan, a couple of names that I've been thinking about. Uh, one would be Dave Clawson from Wake Forest. I, I kind of look at Wake Forest as somewhat comparable to Purdue in their standing within their own conference, an offense that scores a lot of points. He's had great success there. And then I think Bill O'Brien has got just an... A, a great resume. I, I know in this market, people probably view him negatively f- for some reason with how like the Houston Texans kind of unfolded, even though they went to the playoffs four times in his six full seasons there. Um, your thoughts on those two names and maybe some others to keep an eye on. Well, I, I think Dave Claw. Everybody would like a Dave Claus, and he's a guy that uh, you know it has has proven that he can win at a place that's. Some, somewhat similar to Purdue in the marketplace. Um, uh, you know, I, from what I understand, and we have some couple contacts that know him well, um, he's a guy that's very comfortable down there, likes likes the Wake Forest atmosphere. Uh, but, you know, again, if, if you can double it, if you could pay him enough, maybe so. And certainly he has got a very, very well-respected situation. Bill O'Brien's interesting. Purdue obviously has a new, new, new uh, deputy AD, that worked under Nick Saban uh, and, and is uh, Tiffany Grimes, who's uh, head of foot, foot does uh, direct contact with football. Even when Jeff Brom was the head coach, uh, she's just been here for a year. So there's going to be a contact there uh, without question, whether he's a good mix uh, match. Uh, certainly his, his background would get your attention, certainly because he'd been at Penn state had, had success there, had some level of success with certainly with the Houston Texans. So, uh, I think he's interesting. I, I I would put him a little on the outside just because I just don't know if this is the move that he'd want to make. Uh, but I do think those are two very interesting candidates, and it's just it's just going to be a little bit of a crapshoot to, to try to determine uh, exactly which uh, which way they're going. I do know one thing, guys. They're not calling us to tell us uh, what moves they're making from day to day, and, and searches have become. So, uh, you know, that's secretive. They just become good at it. And there's ways to be able to keep it keep it quiet. But uh, trust me, we're working uh, hard to figure that out. Any names on your mind? I know Jamarcus Shepard, former Purdue assistant to Paul product, has kind of been a popular one within the program lately. Uh, anybody else that you're keeping an eye on? Well, I think Tyson Helton is an interesting guy from Western Kentucky, um, just because uh, it's, it's interesting because the parallels to, to Jeff Brom coming from Western Kentucky. Uh, he's obviously done pretty well down there. He's got kind of that same offensive approach to things. I, I think that makes him very, very interesting. As you mentioned, Dave Kloss, another one that was in the mix last time, but I'm just not sure he's a match, but I don't know. Troy Calhoun at Air Force. I obviously runs the option there. But, Ooh, you know, I love the triple option. He is a guy that could create, uh, you know, is he flexible? You know, I, I go back, Purdue fans go back to a guy named Jim Young, who was a Hall of Fame level coach at Purdue, uh, was a passing guy to some extent with Mark Herman, the quarterback, late 70s, early 80s, goes to Army and runs a triple option and has a tremendous amount of success. My point is, and a guy like Troy Calhoun, is he adaptable to, 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 I think Purdue needs to throw the football, but or at least be unique 
yeah, and the triple option would be unique. I don't see that as Purdue's brand, but that that would be. An, he's an interesting guy. Obviously, very very well respected, and has done it done a good job uh, at Air Force, and has made them very competitive in a situation that uh, uh, is always challenging there. But you know, it's funny. I always look at our our hot board, which we have on the site right now, and I say, do you bet? Do you take the field, or do you take our somebody? Is somebody on our hot board going to get the job? Uh, we hope so. Uh, from our and we've been lucky over the years to be pretty good at this, but uh, I don't know. This is a challenging one because it's just really hard to know uh, what the uh, what the landscape is like and exactly where Mike Babinski, Mike Berghoff, and company will land uh, when they when they. But I do know one thing. Uh, I think time is of the essence. Uh, that's stating the obvious, just because of the, it's different than even was in twenty. 2016 when Jeff Brom came and they hired him on the 5th of December but they started a week earlier but you know the transfer portal all those types of issues really make it uh, important uh, to be able to get somebody secure pretty quickly and of course uh, national signing day uh, in in about 10 days from now so all those things make time uh, important but it's a huge hire, and you want to do it right I was going to say do you, if you had to guess what's your time frame like when do you think God, that's a lot of things that you got to think about with the time frame. I, I know. I mean, I, if yeah, it's so I, interesting, I'd say, Alan. I'd say five. Or, I'd, I'd say if if all things were safe. And this is a somewhat silly, flippant answer, but five o'clock today. I mean, it's not going to be five o'clock today. I get that, but I do think that the portal and all that stuff and all the action that's going on—not just potential players leaving Purdue, which Purdue's had a handful already, uh, even before Brom made his announcement—but uh, uh, just the, the, the access. I mean, it's the new recruiting, and you need to have your brand in place and kind of have a direction. But I think if you're Mike Babinski, too, you, you can't miss on this hire. I mean, it's, it's you got to get the best person. So if that means waiting, you know, do you wait for a – and I'm just throwing that name out there, and I don't even know the context, to be honest. So Willie Fritz from Tulane uh, is going to coach in his bowl game in all likelihood, I, one would think, unless you, unless you pay him enough to not do that. And I'm not even – you know, Willie Fritz is on our board. Don't get me wrong. I don't have anything to make me believe that he's a top candidate. But my point is – you know, you have to figure that out. And, and if you wait around, uh, are you willing to wait for a period of time to get the right guy? Uh, I guess it really depends when you're sitting across the table uh, talking to somebody about trying to figure out the time. But I think it's you try to do this sooner than, sooner than later if you're Purdue just because of uh, all the state of flux that uh, your roster is going to be in over the next uh, few weeks. And everybody's roster is going to be in college football. Alan Karpik is our guest. He's on the Payless Stickers Hotline. Alan I've seen a lot of people, and I I don't blame them. I, I wanted kind of your reaction to it. I, I Like we said, I don't think that people have an issue with – I think deep down everybody understands why Jeff Brom would go home. Home is home. I totally get and respect that. Did he mishandle it in terms of acting like business as usual between the time that this clearly was on the front burner and when he accepted the job? And by that I mean – talking to recruits and players and that kind of thing? That uh, time will tell on that. I, I, you know, I, I think guys do, you know, because he, he was in recruiting homes on Monday night wearing a Purdue, you know, wearing Purdue garb, uh, talking to guys in Indianapolis, et cetera. Uh, I don't know that that's, uh, you know, he was still at Purdue. And I, I guess you can look at it that way. That will be an interesting thing to 
to determine over over the long period of time is uh, how that will play out. I think Jeff Brom is generally known as a guy that's pretty up and up guy. And uh, even though uh, you know, if if half the recruiting class goes to Louisville, maybe people are going to feel a little bit different. I, I get that, but uh, but yeah, I, you know, so that's that's an interesting thought. The fact that he was, uh, like I said, in in a ho- houses on on Monday night is is, is an interesting proposition, but. I think that'll probably, this is my own opinion, that it will have its way of working its way out. It'll probably be okay. We talked about, you know, obviously Brian Brom, people that are perhaps in-house for Purdue, how it affects them. Um, in addition to that, let's, let's real quickly, Alan, kind of in conclusion, talk about others that are on staff and what this might mean for them as to, you know, who would be retained, who would be on their way out. Mark Hagan, for example, and does Purdue look strictly inside the family in the beginning uh, in terms of guys that have gone elsewhere but have Purdue ties? Uh, I think they look. Any, I think the Purdue tie thing for Mike Ravinsky, if you're talking about the head coaching job, uh, is 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 a very minor situation. But Mark Hagan is a very interesting situation because uh, he was out recruiting for Purdue last night, as we understand it, and wearing Purdue garb. I know that Jeff Brom wants answers, I, I, from what we understand, it, at Louisville sooner than later. Mark has been a Purdue guy, an Indiana graduate, but been a Purdue coach for a long time. That one is really interesting to see how where he goes. And I don't, to our knowledge, at least as of this morning, we don't know for sh- that uh, any full decision has been made. Uh, you know, again, we know that Brian Brown is going to be the be the interim coach, but uh, Mark Hagan is probably the only one on the staff that I have some real intrigue about the possibility of him staying around. But I don't think that Mike Babinski and company can guarantee a guy because they don't know what they're who they're and guarantee him a place on next the next staff because obviously you got to head coach coming in that's going to have to have some flexibility and hit his staff uh, when he comes to Purdue. Alan, last one for me. Uh, concern over some Southern Indiana guys. Brady Allen, young quarterback, thought to be the future. Yeah. Devin Mockaby, of course, breakout guy this season. You know, two guys from kind of the southeast or southwest corner of the state. And could they be going to Louisville with Jeff Brom? Good question. Um, certainly, uh, you know, in terms of both of those guys, uh, and and uh, that will be a good, interesting storyline. We don't have anything to tell us differently uh, at this point. Uh, Devin Mockaby, obviously, you know, Jeff Brom didn't give him a scholarship, but did give him a chance, and I'm sure that there's there's some close tie there, but. Anybody's guess on that one. I, I really don't. Uh, I really don't even want to hazard a guess. I think it's going to be a storyline, certainly, of those two guys because they're both guys that uh, that are figuring prominently. Certainly, we already know about Mockaby, uh, but certainly Brady Allen's a, a guy that uh, that they liked. And I'm say, not saying he was the guaranteed starter next year, but he certainly was going to be in the mix uh, for for the 2023 season. Going to be already a wild 24, 48 hours for you guys over there on On3.com and certainly going to be that coming up here the rest of the week leading into the bowl game, January 2nd, Citrus Bowl for Purdue with LSU. Alan, great stuff with us. Thank you. Quite frankly, when you talk about sports in the city of Louisville, basically the order goes like Secretariat, Muhammad Ali, not even in that order, probably Muhammad Ali, Secretariat, Rick Bozich in terms of sports pillars down in Derby City. Rick joins us on the program, is kind enough to do so. He is, of course, um, been a long time, long time 
sports writer in Louisville, WDRB.com, where you can read his work now. And he joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rick, I'll begin with this right out of the box. From the Purdue side of things, I think this seemed like an inevitability at some point that Jeff Brom was going to end up at Louisville. Did it always seem that way as well from the Louisville side that as soon as there was an opening, the timing was now going to be such that Jeff Brom was the guy? Absolutely. Um, I think the only thing that was surprising was that it happened this year. And I'll say that in terms of after Scott Satterfield um, kind of turned the season around this year, Louisville started two and three, then they won five of six. Um, I think people thought that he'd done enough to keep his job. But I think we sort of miscalculated losing the Kentucky game again. Um, I think what happened was he talked to the athletic director and wanted a couple more years on his contract and maybe a raise and was told no. And he was able to find a way out uh, to another Power five, 5 job. And once he went to Cincinnati, I think we all knew what was going to happen. Rick, can you explain how the Brahms are viewed in the city of Louisville? Uh, it's the first family of football. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I moved here in 1978. Uh, I met Oscar, actually, the dad, because he worked for the same company I worked for. I worked for the newspaper. He worked for uh, the Bingham's owned like four or five different businesses. He was an accountant for the radio and TV station. He was a former star football player at Flash A High School, which is the same school that Paul Horning and Howard Schnellenberger played at. And then his brother, Greg, his son, Greg, Jeff's older brother, uh, was a wide receiver at Trinity who was a marginal, probably D1 athlete, and Schnellenberger was smart enough to offer him a scholarship, and Kentucky didn't. Uh, he came to Louisville a year ahead of Jeff, and then Jeff, uh, as I've written about many times, turned down Notre Dame, turned down Ohio State, turned down Tennessee, and came to play for Louisville when Louisville was playing in a minor league baseball stadium, and all they had was the dream of Howard Schnellenberger talking about Louisville football program being something. Uh, so he's been all in on Louisville football for many, many years. And then obviously, you know, more than a decade later, younger brother Brian came along. He coached him. They won the Orange Bowl, and he was a coach here. And the Brom family DNA is strong at Trinity High School, which is the number one high school power here in town and at the University of Louisville. Plus, Jeff also coached uh, a short-lived arena football team here. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're the foot family of football in Louisville. Again, Rick Bozich is with us, WDRB down there, um, WDRB.com down there in Louisville. And he wrote earlier this week that it was time for Louisville to make that call and bring Jeff Brom home. They indeed did that. Rick, from what you know about the Purdue job, because obviously you cover Indiana a decent amount and, and, right. and have an right. understanding of the Big Ten Conference, just like in a vacuum, what's the better football coaching job, Purdue or Louisville? Well, I mean, I actually grew up in Gary, so I was around a lot of Purdue oh, people. Nice. I'd say in a, in a vacuum, without the connections, um, you know, I'd have to say Purdue uh, because it's in the Big Ten. And moving forward uh, with the Big Ten um, vision of expanding the conference, the Big Ten network revenue money, you know, the, it's like SEC Big Ten, ACC is, is a notch below. But this is an unusual situation. It, it, you know, it, it, Jeff Brown's not going to leave Purdue to go to Wake Forest, to go to NC State, to go to Pittsburgh, to go to you know Virginia Tech. He's only going to leave to go to Louisville. Uh, and so, you know, I, I get what you're saying. I, I'm with you. I mean, Purdue is—it's not 
you know, an ideal job because we all know what the challenges are at Purdue. You're in a, in a league where Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, uh, probably Wisconsin have more going for it than Purdue does. But the Big Ten has more cachet than, than the ACC. But for Jeff Brom, this was a better job. Rick, there might not be any way to know this, I guess. So my apologies if it's unfair to ask you at this time. But do you have an idea yet or has there been any inkling as to when – Jeff Brom arrives, how much of West Lafayette he brings with him? And by that, I mean staff and roster. I don't know about roster. I really don't. Because with the transfer portal, I mean, anything's in play. I I haven't heard um, anything about that. In fact, we haven't got to talk to him yet. He's going to be introduced, I think, later today. Um, I I mean, I'm sure Greg will be coming. I would think Brian will come. I know he's going to coach the team. Through, he's the interim coach for the bowl game, correct? But I, yeah. I, 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 I'm pretty sure he's interested in the job, but I didn't see his name listed in the West Lafayette paper as one of the candidates, and I doubt Purdue uh, would go with a guy with no head coaching experience. Then after that, there's a lot of guys on that staff with local connections. I mean, David Elson was a coach at Western Kentucky. Um, Garrick McGee coached here before with Jeff Brom. He's the receiver's coach. Ron English was a, a coach here at Louisville under Steve Cragthorpe when Jeff was here. Uh, there's a, is a Ryan Wallace. His dad is the head coach at St. Xavier, uh, which is along with Trinity. They're the two football dominant programs in town. He's a Bowling Green, Kentucky native. I would think he would come. So I would think there'd be a, a pretty large pool of those guys coming and, um, but I don't know for sure. I've, I haven't I haven't been able to get to Jeff, and I've just heard stuff on the periphery. Can Rick Bozich with us, WDRB.com down in Louisville. Rick, how would you kind of characterize where Louisville's at NIL-wise compared to maybe others in the ACC or others in the Midwest? I think they're ahead of the game. Uh, Louisville's football's recruiting under Scott Satterfield was bad for the first three years, and I think he was told last year when he almost got fired. Um, that he needed to change, and they invested more in the recruiting office. They brought a couple of guys in to take care of the NIL stuff, um, and for a good while, until the last week, they had a top 25 recruiting class lined up. Now, the, they had a running back yesterday from Texas who decommitted and quickly committed to Texas A&M, but they have a bunch of kids coming from California, and I think one of the first things Jeff Brom's going to do after he gets here is go to California and try and tie that class down. Uh, and their NIL um, um, program is very strong. And the, what you have to remember is Louisville is a big town with no pro sports. And the success of Louisville basketball and the success of Louisville football is very important to people in this town. And I think they figured out that, you know, they have to get in the game NIL-wise. And I think they're, I think they're ahead of most programs doing that. Rick, can you possibly fathom... You've been in Louisville a long time. You've covered sports down there, you know, a long time. Can you possibly fathom if you go back 25 years ago, if I'd walk up to you and say, you know, the day's going to come where you're going to be doing a sports radio interview in Indianapolis, not because of the basketball team, but because your football program is going to be plucking away the coach at Purdue and the basketball program is going to be 0 and 8. I mean, what in the world is going on with Louisville basketball? No, I couldn't fathom that, and that's <laughs> funny you say that, because every time I walk into the KFC Yum Center, and I've gone to every home game, every exhibition game, and every scrimmage this year, because in part I wanted to be there for Kenny Payne's first win, 
uh, I walk in with Jerry Eves, who's a former Louisville basketball player on the 1980 championship team and a couple other media people. And we look around and there's five or 6,000 people in a 20,000 seat facility, which is NBA quality facility. And look around and say, can't believe this is Louisville basketball. But, you know, it's, it didn't get this way overnight. This has been a five-year process, and um, I'm not sure if they've touched bottom yet, but because they're probably going to lose the next two and get to zero and ten. But it's uh, it's been yeah, it's beyond belief. I mean, unbelievable. Is, is it Kenny Payne, or did he walk into? Was Chris Mack old mother Hubbard, and he left the cupboard empty? I mean, what what, what the hell happened? Uh, the cupboard's pretty empty. Um, they don't have very good personnel. I don't think they've made the best use of the personnel they do have. They've been unlucky in the beginning. They lost their first three games by one point, but the last five games they've played against you know more power five level teams. They've lost by an average of, of I think, close to 27 points. They haven't even been competitive. So, uh, whatever flaw you can have, they've shown them all. They, they're, they've had more turnovers than assists, I believe, in every game they've played. Gosh, that's not good. So, Florida A&M, is that what we're looking at? Is that we're we circling the calendar for that one a week from Saturday? Is the first win? Florida A&M, yeah. That's the same day Louisville actually plays Cincinnati and Fenway Park in the bowl game when they go against Satterfield's old team against his new team. It's the same day, so that's so a week from Saturday. The city will be on tilt. Let's, yeah, they'll let's be carrying Kenny Payne down 4th Street after that Let's win. add into that, like, 25 years ago. Hey, listen, the day's going to come where 0-10 Louisville's going to get their first basketball win when the football team's playing a bowl game in Fenway Park. And their coach is now coaching the other team. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, my goodness. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you guys have followed what's going on. I mean, this place has been like a reality TV show for like the last seven right. or eight years. It's it's always something outrageous happening in this town. Always. Rick, you you were all over it earlier this week. Uh, as Jake said, tons and tons of history. I know our paths haven't crossed for about a decade, but always remember you down there when I was at IU covering Tom Crean's early years. So good to hear your voice again and uh, appreciate the insight. All right. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. The longest road trips in Pacers franchise history is complete. The only thing longer is Rudy Gobert. Well, that's a big block he had on Buddy Heald late. Yeah, I think Heald Heald felt like he had that step on him, and if he had to do it over again, maybe try and get over to that right hand, so Gobert would have to kind of alter his body and not be able to have more of a straight line on the block. But really entertaining game. Back and forth, tied at 115 late, and then Minnesota scored the final six. They've got so many guys. I mean, without Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards is 26. D'Angelo Russell with 15 in the fourth quarter. Uh, they made the plays late, uh, but Pacers got off to a poor start per usual. Great second quarter, got them back in the game. Actually took an eight-point lead, but could not make the plays in the final quarter. Talk more about that. And where the Pacers are now, 25 games into the season at 13-12. and 12. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files joins us. Scott, I guess let's just start kind of a um, big picture of the Western trip. Good and bad. What did you like? What did you not like? Yeah, I said going into the trip that if you could get two, three wins, you know, I think that would be a success. So I, I think despite the seven games and and all they had to deal with, and just such a jam-packed schedule, something that you just don't see very often. 
Um, I think coming away with a couple of wins could be considered a victory in this short-term window. Um, I like the fact that they were able to get um, you know, a little bit of health towards the end of the trip. I think that was important because it was kind of concerning the last couple of games where you're, you're throwing lineups out there that felt more kind of like a January dog days group where you're waiting for a whole bunch of players to get healthy. But, man, I think that just the overwhelming feeling you got to go back to is what Andrew Nemhard did in those couple of games in the meantime, being the, the lone point guard out there. And I think you in the, that small snapshot, we learned a little bit more about this team. One, how outside of Nemhard in that other, you know, the two guys being away, they lack that true point guard, but also more so the level at which he's playing with already as a 22-year-old rookie. Okay, Scott, I'm not going to say slump, but I'll use your term there, small snapshot. The small snap that Benedict Matherin appears to be in, um, mm-hmm. you know, just there was such a high level that he was playing in the beginning. Do you chalk it up as A, teams are starting to figure out how to guard him and there's now film on him, or B, with a rookie, oftentimes, just from a physical standpoint, the exertion that's necessary in the NBA starts to bring you down to earth a little bit. Yeah, I think I'll take a little bit more of the latter, especially when you're jamming so many games into a short time. Like college, right? You're playing 32 games maybe in four or five months, and he just played seven in less than two weeks. Um, I think that's that's a whole different ball game that you can't quite be prepared for. Um, and, and by the way, on top of that, you know, six different cities throughout all of that. Um, one, yeah, sure, he's probably you know being circled and highlighted on all the scouting reports. That certainly changed from the first week or two. Um, the other thing that's noteworthy, I thought as well throughout the trip, Jake was just kind of the whistle he was getting. It was almost like the officials had changed on him and and wanted to see more physical contact before they called the foul. I mean, that was the one big thing yesterday that I couldn't figure out last night. They had 24 free throws in the first half, which matched their season average and didn't take another one in the second half. So uh, that's something both Mathern and the Pacers were trying to figure out last night. Yeah, wild discrepancy from the first half to the second half. Again, Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Uh, Scott, I enjoyed the piece. Uh, I forget if it was earlier this week or late last week on Andrew Nemhard with some Mark Few comments in there um, it just seemed like few had an incredible amount of trust in handing the ball to Nemhard or just having Nemhard on the floor I also found it interesting that it sounded like the Gonzaga staff was kind of pushing Nemhard at times to be more assertive offensively and I think we're starting to see that here even with his roles changing almost nightly for the Pacers yeah it's it's remarkable how in control of of the ball he is literally and figuratively when he's out there um you know so many times you'd, you'd think a guy that that elk would feel the pressure maybe to to perform feel pressure to get others involved those sorts of things and and you know as a guy as a first year player who's hadn't played in these venues along the way he just kept the pacers afloat kept them in control and and yeah what he can do offensively was scoring the ball we knew that coming in um, it's one of those that you know teammates are telling him, "Hey, shoot it, we're we're good. Go ahead and take that ball. It's actually a bad possession if you don't take that open shot." And, and those sorts of things, which is 
which is a good problem to have, I suppose. But he handled himself well, and I mean, very clearly, you know, crushed what he was able to get accomplished. And um, you know, it will turn out to be a good pick. Um, we're only twenty-five games into his career, though, so there's a lot to be determined uh, moving forward, though. You know, Rick Carlisle has made no bones about the fact that if this draft were redone, you know, Nimhard would have been selected much higher. It was a great pick by the Pacers. I think there's enough right. body of work to say that that part is true. But do we overly devalue guys that are four-year players coming out of college? Like, well, that guy can't be any good. He's been there for four years as opposed to the the, the one-and-dones. Did he fall victim to that? For one, that's a little bit of what I was talking about, a little small sample size theater, I think, um, to an extent, considering I usually cautiously give guys about three years to really know what you have, right, especially bigs. But, yeah, I, I think so, um, especially it, it feels like when, when players are out of Gonzaga, too, a little bit, like it's all that section of the country, one that's far away, two, who are they playing against sometimes, and so that makes you wonder about – about guys a little bit too because there's been a couple standouts and a couple guys that just really haven't developed um from that program as well so i think maybe that's part of it um and then just and then here fast forward to now the expectations anytime you know he really was just the one pick past that second round but anytime you mention second round it's like oh yeah fringe guy maybe he's not gonna make it and he's thus far played every bit of a first round pick that deserves you know the highest contract ever given to a, a second round pick from the u.s again uh scott agnes is with us fieldhouse files is where you can find his coverage got a podcast as well um any update chris duarte wise I, I think there was some chatter that he maybe could have made his return on the western trip but he did not and now we're looking at this is now over a month right yeah, absolutely. He's past the the one month mark. Probably like a month and a half. Other... Now that I look at it, yeah, yeah. Because going into the trip, I think was roughly about a month. Um, and uh, you know, it was that it was that bad sprained ankle, and it's crazy because he just stepped on uh, Kyle Lowry's foot and kind of tweaked it. And I was thinking about that because Miami is here coming up on Monday. It's like wow, I, you know, we haven't seen Duarte since the last time. And so, yeah, no real update just yet. I'm not sure he's even been asked about it in terms of Carlisle either. Um, last night, I guess, when he was asked about injuries, uh, he said, and it was a time when, you know, there was about six guys questionable. He told the, the few media there up in Minneapolis that, you know, I'm not providing an injury update on anything. So, um, uh, yeah, hopefully we get the, some kind of clarity on his situation, guys, I'd say Friday, because, you know, you know, we're at that point now where I think he's certainly doing more on the court. I've seen some videos from a couple fans that have been posted. So he's doing stuff, but is he close to returning? That's parts unclear. Yeah, and he's needed right now. I, Aaron Neesmith, just a lot of up and down moments. I, I'd like to see Duarte mm-hmm. get back in there. Um, any tea leaves, Scott? You're watching. I mean, we're, we're we're still two months out until the trade deadline. There's a lot of basketball between now and then. But is there anything you're watching, whether it be a date, whether it be a decision, you know, for the team or for a player, anything that you're keeping an eye on over the next two months? Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, trade related. Yeah, nothing certainly of note just yet. I mean, in a week, 
um, a ton of NBA players start to become available, you know, in a trade because the guys that signed in the offseason, you have to wait six months. So December 15th is kind of that key date. Really, once you get past the new year, past the holidays, um, you have a, a bigger sample size and, and teams are willing to start dealing. I think a lot of, a lot more often starting in January, you just don't see it very many January, uh, excuse me, November, December type deals. So I even said this, you know, when those the, the last actual talks that felt like were ongoing that, hey, give it a month or two, there, there's probably not anything happening on this front. Lakers have, have started to win some games um, a little bit more and show show signs of life, show Russell Westbrook, you know, is, is actually a, a contributing piece. Um, but in the big picture, no, I don't think we have any more clarity either on you know, potential trade partners, or would be Miles be willing to sign an extension? Scott Agnes is our guest. Fieldhouse Files, where you can read him. He's on the pace, uh, the Payless Liquors Hotline, talking about the Pacers. <laughs> Scott, um, I want to ask you this: in terms of the NBA at this point, I've always said that usually you take twenty to twenty-five games before you really can gauge where teams are and who teams are. Now is the time that you got a pretty good idea because we're right in that 25-28 game window for teams. So having said that, <coughs> give me you know one or two real surprises for you this year in the league for good or bad. Either a team that has far exceeded your expectation or a team that you wonder why in the world they haven't been able to kick it into gear yet. Yeah, to go back to, I guess, the Heat, who will be here Monday. I mean, they're sitting on the outside of even the play-in tournament right now. And it makes you wonder if they're starting to think, if they're in one of those no-man's lands where you have to either make a couple or a move or two to get back in the playoff picture, or should they start thinking about the Victor women, Yana sweepstakes, and kind of going all in on a rebuild there. So they've been a, a disappointment. So have the Chicago Bulls, I think. They're right there, um, those two teams. Now, on the positive side, I think what New Orleans has beginning to establish uh, and, and shown that that C.J. McCollum uh, trade worked out well and adding kind of a pro to that locker room, Zion staying healthy a little bit. I think them they've been a positive, and then so have the Utah Jazz, who I think we all felt were probably a early, very early candidate for a rebuild, and they're, they're in the heart of the playoff picture and just got a, a surprise win last night over the Warriors. Scott, we'll end with this. Um, how's the Bally situation going? I, I haven't had too many issues over the last couple of weeks. Um, again, from a streaming standpoint, I, I've got um, I've got cable. Um, but from the streaming audience, have you heard anything on that front? I haven't heard anything. So I, I'll go back to what I probably said a, a month ago, and that kind of the no news or no no comments probably is a good thing right. at this point. Right. I, I presume here that anyone that you know is really interested and willing to sh- shell out $20 a month is probably doing that right now at this point, especially with this team. If you're not doing it already this season, you're probably not doing it the rest of the way, it feels like. Um, but the, the wrench in all this is just what's happening from a corporate level. And right now it's kind of even a uh, above our general level, right? Diamond Sports owns Valley Sports, and it, 
you know, there was a sports business journal article about Diamond Sports Group maybe coming in and, and running things from a more management standpoint. But directly to your question and with the Pacers, um, I, I think it's mostly been doing well. And there was a couple games I do remember some quirks or maybe it was freezing and things. Well, I haven't seen that feedback here anytime soon. So I think that's a good sign. Again, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files talking about the Pacers, who again are home tomorrow and Saturday. It is Washington tomorrow night. It is Brooklyn at the Fieldhouse on Saturday. Scott, appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys.